0: Because love's fire is global love's fire wants liberation of all if you keep answering to your heart without a, a big you know a plan it will lead you to the biggest scale of life that it can with your gifts just as if you have a plot of soil it's going to move towards a climax forest for the most amount of life in that plot of soil just what
1: the universe does welcome back to possibility now with ethan hughes i'm your host tucker walsh Today we'll be exploring a topic near and dear to Ethan's heart, which he calls Love Fire. Love Fire can be described in many ways, but the way I think about it is that Love Fire is the life force energy that moves through us when we're activated by our soul's purpose. It's that feeling you get when you know that you just have to do something, as if a larger force or higher power is guiding us to act. It's that fire which has guided Ethan for much of his life and I can think of no better person to speak on this topic. So let's get started. All right, Ethan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a hot minute since we've talked, but I'm super excited to have you on. I'm down in uh, Nicaragua at the moment, and you're up in Maine. But um, technology, for better or worse, is connecting us, and grateful to have that in this moment. So welcome.
0: Hi, good to be back.
1: So Ethan, what is on your heart and your mind and your soul this morning?
0: Yeah, I'm planning to share about a topic that I love immensely and have been leaning into for 40 plus years and it's a just a deep passion. I call it love's fire, which I will explain in a moment and Just so the listener can know the kind of pathway I'm planning to go through on the talk, planning to talk about what is love's fire, and then uh, let's see it in action. What does it look like now and in history? How do we support it moving through us? What holds us back from becoming a vessel of love? How do we transform fear? How do we transform shame? Love's fire, archetypes of change, risk, building muscle and risk balance and exposing yourself and spirit will do the rest those are just some of the themes of the arc i'm hoping to take and of course more open to what emerges between you and i in this conversation
1: great so that's a lot that you just threw out but i guess if you just close your eyes and like sink into the feeling of love fire sink into this topic and what is it that's most alive right now what is it that most Um, sort of sums up your your passion and your your love for this, this topic.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like it's the most transformative force in the world. So seeing that when Love's Fire is activated, the most love and justice and healing comes through, whether in individual or in movements, So, yeah, I'm just thankful for how spirit and love comes through people and creates creative responses to harm. So I also, it's so important to me because I feel like it's the X factor that is so essential right now at this time of a climate crisis and uncertainty and the sixth extinction and fascism. It just feels the essential ingredient to embody the world we want to live in
1: beautiful so yeah just to take a a bit more of a a macro perspective a bird's eye perspective what is love's fire in its simplest terms how would you explain it to um, to maybe a young child
0: for me it's been named in so many ways and i I like to call it love's fire because i feel like you can't predict how it's going to move through someone and what it's going to look like you could become a revolutionary dancer. You could become revolutionary storyteller. You could become a revolutionary person in the front lines, stopping harm. And I think some of the lineages I followed, the from from India and the Indian freedom movement. I think Ahimsa, yeah. I think nonviolence misses the mark. It's 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 talking the without violence right feel like love's fire is actually an active force that works through someone's nervous system and through their heart and being where it's a field that they create and uh, I hope to share stories of what it looks like in action but there's no room for fear there's no room for othering there's no room for enemy identity you're actually channeling this life force that supernovas and life trying to create every nook and cranny full of it, whether it's a coral reef or an old growth forest, it's just, you're channeling that of life, that of belonging. So I think the, for me, it's important to realize it's an active force going from self out to other selves. I think love's fire, when it activates between people, we look at what Dr. King called the beloved community. It starts to spread when it's ignited in somebody it awakens you see right now there's a huge all the books are short biographies about amazing people and how when we hear these stories something awakens in us we can't turn away from it and that's uh, love's fire wanting to come through each of us i think the important thing to for me is it's beyond any religion it's beyond any form it's just this creative force like i always say first there's love and then there's justice and from justice you have peace for things to work together so it, when it comes through us we don't know what it looks like until we surrender to become a vessel so i think love's fire is on the pinnacle of embodying what life wants to do through us letting life live through us whether you hold it as god or buddha nature or goddess the dao whatever definition and also with emergence we we're surprised when we let it through us we're like whoa i didn't think i was going to do that <laughs> it's a it's a surprise it's not a thinking part of our mind i think a lot of revolutionary action is through our thinking brain because of patriarchy and this is just a felt experience i will bring back the quote from Dominic barter if you're not willing to feel the world you won't be changed by it so it's being changed by responding to the impulses that your heart and inner guide, inner soul, inner calling, destiny is pointing you towards. So for a kid, I, I want to simplify it. What I would say to a kindergartner, I have talked to kindergartners. Just the simplest thing just say those things arising in you. When I'm when I'm in a little when I'm doing a presentation in the school, I ask the kids, five year olds, six year olds, what do they want to do? And most of the hands go up and be like, clean water for everyone. I want to be the best listener. So people can feel supported. I want to make sure everyone's fed. I want to protect the species. When you're younger and innocent, um, it's just saying like, believe in that which arises in you that society teaches you to forget. So just it's a remembering and that I like what St. Teresa of Avila said is, spirit will never put something in your heart that's not achievable. It doesn't trick you. It's just that we lose faith in this huge upwelling that's coming, these desires that um, so many children have around the world for for love and caring and kindness is, is real, and we need to reclaim it.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, where would you like to go from here?
0: Um, I'd love, uh, I think people most drop into it just hearing some stories of what uh, what it looks like. Perfect. Um, And I want to start with Harriet Tubman, who, as many listeners may know, was a slave and um, at one point in her childhood tried to protect a young boy from being abused by a slave owner. And the slave owner threw a piece of iron and hit her in the head. Um, She had so many challenges against her, but she... Walk to freedom hundreds of miles on her own, at times when she could actually have could have basically fainting from the head injury, but made it. And when she crossed to the north, these moments are like preparing ourselves for the moment spirit wants to use you and that we're prepared to let that come through our body. And the first thing she said in her own words, I'm paraphrasing it was like, I'm free. And all of a sudden the sky and the clouds and everything was so open. And the next thought was, I'm not free until everyone's free. It's this Bodhisattva idea. I feel like Love's Fire channels that, that we need to help to end suffering of all beings until that is done. Our work isn't done until all beings are liberated. And we hear that a lot rising up as this shared liberation or collective liberation so it's just so amazing that she went from the south i'm free i did it and the next sentence was oh my gosh all those people are trapped down there i need to go and so all of a sudden harriet tubman is crossing back into the south and freed over 300 people would go back women and children brought back every single group no one was ever lost, and at one point in history they and I always say it's the one moment that patriarchy helped protect Harriet Tubman is they didn't believe it could be a woman. Harriet Tubman was a small black woman they thought it was they named Moses was the name they gave to this person who was freeing all these people, and it was a six foot black man like so there she was at one point the most wanted person there was the biggest bounty for her in the south so just imagine for the listeners to imagine imagine you crossing a line knowing there's a huge bounty out on your life and you're going to take women and children in huge groups back for hundreds of miles and you go back over and over again and this is uh that kind of love that happens is it be from her point, it became irresistible that each person, she could free her, her meaning and purpose and connection to all became deeper. And it often loves fire. I'm going to talk about Mother Jones next stays with us. Once it starts channeling, we can't forget it. Rumi says like, yeah, you can try drinking or avoiding it. But the moment you open your eyes, there's going to be spirit saying, it's time to love again. And with it's, uh, Yeah, it answers this deep longing. And even when she was older, she was healing people from the Revolutionary War and had a house for uh, people from the Black community who had come back from the Civil War. And um, she got all this money later in her life. I think she was in her 80s or 90s. And she instantly was like, oh, more resources to feed the hungry mouth. Like she stayed living simple until her old age and that's it once you catch it it's your nervous system is i feel like we're lightning rods waiting for this force to come to really activate our, our giftedness for life and mother jones i love mother jones is an activist who she was the most feared older woman and from 1830 to 1930, lived a hundred years. And she would walk to the line of machine guns and union acts and to stop child uh, child work conditions. She would just walk up to the line of machine guns, pointed at her, just push the machine guns away and walk up to talk to who she wanted to talk to. Um, and that's, again, love's fire often activates a confidence uh, fearlessness of, of faith in what we're doing is bigger than us. It's like deep time. So many of these people talk about their feeling like they're in this huge ancestry of people who have walked with love and that ancestry links to them when they open a the love's fire and here's I just want to end with this quote by her. she lived to turn 100 and then died on November, November 30th, 1930. On the eve of her death, she expressed the wish that she could quote live another 100 years in order to fight to end to the end that there would be no more machine guns and no more sobbing of little children so um that's the kind of long arc which is amazing seeing these amazing women and love's fire also i think we can't think of it in just strict nonviolence like some people channel it in a way that is We can think of Peace Pilgrim just walking to serve whoever she finds. And um, when Peace Pilgrim walks up on the hill and there's someone who's been hurting people in the community and that man runs out and starts punching her and Peace Pilgrim opens her arms and gets punched a few times and then embraces, walks down the hill with the person on her shoulder crying and that person was redeemed. In, In the history of this situation, he became a participant of the community and someone asks how you got punched in the face she's like one punch in the face is worth someone healing someone becoming part of the beloved community and sometimes it can look like that and sometimes it really looks what we might call more aggressive um harriet tubman was willing to be a spy in the in the civil war um so we, we I think it's important that we don't put our own limits on what it can look like as it comes into the world. And there's hundreds and hundreds of these stories um, of people being transformed in the moment. Uh, David Hartzow, who is was in the civil rights movement, he was a white man who was part of the sit-ins. He felt it come through, and most people feel it. They can feel something enter him. He was sitting on a stool with other in solidarity with other. Uh, black folks waiting to be served at the, at the cafes that weren't allowing the black community in and a whole group came in and a person with a big knife spun David around and said, I'm going to gut you. And David turned around and looked at this large man with a knife and what happened? He just felt time slowed down and he opened up his shirt and he, showed the flesh of his chest and turned to the man and said, I'm going to try to love you as you do it. And the person started shaking and dropped the knife and ran out. And who knows what in each situation, Love's fire may look completely different, but that power of, again, the humility, I'm going to try to love you. Not that, you know, it's, it's just claiming we're going to try our best to, to meet that kind of love and spirit where it is. I think it's also important for listeners to realize that it can look in so many ways. Ruby Bridges, who was in fifth grade, who was the first black woman, one of them to be into um, desegregated schools, she went to a school with only white children, and was a fifth grader. And there was huge mobs every day that would scream at her and say, "We're going to kill you!" And her parents were getting death threats. All the white parents pulled the kids out of the school, so she's the only one with the teacher and the national guard would lead her there to protect her. And, um, every one morning she stopped in the middle of the crowd. Usually they try to rush her through to the door and lock the school and she stopped and they're screaming at her. And here's a fifth grader being told they want to kill her And her. She starts saying something. And then the federal guards are like, you got to come, you got to come. And finally they pick her up and bring her to the door. she goes up and the teacher said, I saw you stop in the crowd and start speaking. What was happening? And she said, well, before I cross the corner where the big crowd is, every every day I pray for them. I pray that they can find that we're all family and that they can find God's love. And, and I forgot the prayer. So she stopped to pray for them right in the middle of the mob. And so these things can be as simple as that. Um, and even... Uh, These acts don't have to be ones in front of machine guns or mobs to be holy. Um, They can look in so many different ways. Like I think of Vendrin Smalovic, who is a classical cellist, who in the Sarajevo, in the war, when that city was in siege and there was a bomb at a bread line that killed 21 women and children. He's up in his room being like, I'm just a classical Jealous. What am I going to do for this violence? And then he thought, Oh, I'm going to play 21 for 21 days, a song for peace, for each of these children and women who died. And he went to the corner, street corner, where there's live bullets and there's and just played his music. And then other musicians joined. And then the 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 peace started to flow. There was less violence, and that that wave started to go outward. So, yeah, it's just this piece of how do we open up to what life wants to do with us in the moment um, over and over again, unique in each time, in each moment. So I hope some of those stories help point us towards this amazing love's fire that wants to move towards us.
1: Yes. Thank you, Ethan. Those are very, very powerful examples. And just to follow up on your last point there, even the last example of the cellist, you know, it was still in a sort of a war-torn type of scenario. Are there examples of love fire coming through in even more uh, simpler ways, ways that perhaps don't involve uh, an element of physical danger, Um, like perhaps um, walking past somebody who's um, crying on the street or something, and like the love fire just initiates this um you know this desire to go up and to approach the person to comfort them to ask if they're okay if there's anything they need can can simpler acts like that and sort of everyday life be examples of love fire or, or is that something different
0: uh, absolutely uh, a- every moment we uh, follow our heart whether it's we're going down the highway and we see a broken down car and a few people standing, and first you're like, oh, who are they? It might be dangerous. And then you actually pull over to help them. Each of those moments, you're responding to the heart. And I think what I want in studying hundreds and hundreds of lives, it's step by step that we move into our destiny. So um, a few examples that may be helpful is like Wangari Mathai, an amazing Kenyan a black woman who came back after being away to Kenya and saw all these uh, clear cuts and people having to walk really far for firewood and the soil depleting. Her first step, her first rising of the heart was, I need to plant some trees. I've never planted trees. So her first radical act, which was radical in the arc of her life, was planting, in different books, it says nine or 12 trees, somewhere in there. She just, In pots grew nine to 12 trees in her backyard. So most of us can imagine when those those uprisings come for us to do something, if we follow them, each one's gonna lead to a next step. So she planted a few trees and learned how to do it. She planted them, a few women in the village got interested, she taught them, and then each new step led to another step. And if we fast forward 20 years, uh, from her movement, the Green Belt Movement, over 40 million trees were planted in 20 countries. There are 6,000 nurseries just in Kenya. But this is a part I want people to realize: is once you act on your heart, whether that's stopping because someone's hungry in the street, the rest is up to emergence in the universe. You don't actually have to do anything; you just have to keep responding to that call in your heart. And so Wangari didn't wake up saying. I'm going to win the, for be the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm going to have 6,000 nurseries. I'm going to have 40 million trees in 20 countries. She woke up and said, I need to learn how to plant trees. I'm going to grow 10 trees. And then when she grew the 10 trees, people in the community came and said, hey, can you show me how to do it? And she's like, okay, I'll show you how to do it. And then those women came and said, hey, let's create a nursery. And one was like, great idea. So they had the first nursery. It, it, it unfolds. And I think what we, um, the Western mind, my experience, makes us think we need to have this big plan. And that's the way that we're going to do it. Of Greta of, of the climate movement is a great example. She did something very predictable. She got a sign and went on climate strike. It's been done for a long time, those kind of strikes. And she just skipped school and went to one of the places of power in her country and held the sign. Day after day after day after day. She did not initially say I'm gonna spark a child's movement of millions of people in the, United, in the world. She just said, I'm gonna do what's in my heart. And that each thing, then she was invited to the US. She was invited on a sailboat. That's the part is we don't have to make a plan. We just have to answer our heart. And I find as many of these stories, but I, I would like to say that from my studying, when you do that simple act, if you keep responding to your heart, because love's fire is global. Love's fire wants liberation of all. If you keep answering to your heart without a, a big you know, a plan, it will lead you to the biggest scale of life that it can with your gifts. Just as if you have a plot of soil, it's going to move towards a climax forest for the most amount of life in that plot of soil. Just what the universe does. Um, a great example of what you said is Bernie Glassman, a Buddhist, Walk by homeless people in yonkers new york on his way to teach his sangha and he'd walk by homeless people and one day he just said i'm not going to walk by them today and he didn't feed them or anything i'm just going to sit and witness and he just sat and breathed and he calls it beautiful acts that when we want to our motivation to do good can be our biggest challenge because we want to look good or do the right thing but if we just like you said, breathe in in the beginning. I loved you, you. said, breathe in, Ethan, what's alive in you. He just breathed and waited and watched all these stories. You should feed them. You should be a good person. And after, I think it was two weeks of just taking time to sit with the homeless population, it just arose in him that he's like, I'm going to start serving these people. Uh, they're my family. I'm part of them. And again, it started really simple. And then soon he was... Uh, Years later, he said, I'm the bodhisattva. My life is to end homelessness in America. And on his birthday, he would go sit in front of the White House. But it all started with, again, just stopping um, from his view, from a Buddhist perspective. It's, it's that if we expose ourselves to suffering and just feel it and don't react to it, the beautiful action, love's fire action, combining with the universe, combining with our unique gift will arise on its own. We don't need to force it. And I love that. It's just that idea. I just saw it in real life. We went to Line Three to follow Indigenous leadership. The tar sands pipeline is going through the Mississippi under wild rice lakes and breaking treaty rights with the Indigenous. And so some people who had never been to the front lines, went there. And uh, my friends, Brianne and Zoli, uh, risked arrest. And they, they felt spirit moving through them as they were protecting the water. And protecting indigenous justice and they came home and now they're like you know what we're we're leaving maine and we're going on the road to live in frontline camps led by people of color it, it wasn't a there's like there's no choice for them it just is such a pure rising they saw the suffering firsthand and now they're that's the next step they're just going to go offer to volunteer and that will lead to the next step and that's the piece i i um, really want to really want people to get is that first act is the beginning of a chain of you walking up that beautiful mountain of, of full healing full justice and full love
1: that's great yes yeah, so, so on that point something i've been thinking a lot about and we've discussed in the past is um, the idea of having a sole purpose of of having uh, sort of an underlying mission or a drive to our life that unites all of our um, actions and goals and adventures and so thinking about love fire is it is this a, a fair analogy that it's almost like the bread the breadcrumbs that we lead act by act um, closer and closer to uncovering or discovering our sole purpose um, yeah how does that resonate for you
0: yeah i i think that's a beautiful a beautiful vision that we are born and it, and society moves us away from that i mean imagine when we we're born k through 12 was just and we've talked about this before it is given to your soul's purpose like what are your gifts again your vocation what makes you come alive what do you love to do what are you good at and where does it meet the needs of the world we're we're totally shifted to where you're going to make money how much you're making what's your job um for a lot of people, they can barely, they might grow up in, in poverty, they might grow up in abusive households or addiction, that um, there's, there's never this fair chance to follow the breadcrumb. So the moment we have that opportunity, it's true, we find the first breadcrumb, we're like, whoa. And then we look up in the forest and there's another one. And it's just, uh, and as we eat it, our actions, we're like eating love's fire, it nourishes us when we follow the breadcrumb, it strengthens us. It builds our risk muscle. And it starts, you know, as we walk, it can look a little scarier. Like eventually one guy, Mathai, they're like, you have to stop this. And she's like, no. So the breadcrumbs up in a high tree and you're like, Ooh, that's scary. But you climb up because when you eat that, you feel connected. You feel that oneness. And again, it could mean that you are meant to be, I want to, I would love to talk about the archetypes, but you might just be carrying being wherever you go. No one may ever know you in history. And you just try to be as present with each person as, as the holy person they are. And that's going to be your transforming act. Martha Graham, it was dancing. And she created modern dance, which also moved into movement dancing and social change dancing. But that's what came through her was, I don't want to do ballet or these other art forms that are beautiful, but I have something different. And she took that risk. So yeah, the breadcrumbs, I love it. And it leads us it leads us to, yeah, I believe our primary, if I could say our primary directive of our giftedness and the needs of the world. And, and that's, I mean, the thing why I love it is because the more I imperfectly do it, the more alive and connected I feel when I see people living their purpose, there's just, there is a, you're drawn to them. We're drawn to them because not, if we imitate them it always fails a bunch of people tried to do peace pilgrim walks after she passed away imitation is not what loves fire is asking and that's why i think when we try to imitate uh, buddha or we try to imitate any of the incredible people in history um we we fail because we're meant to be a unique expression so that's another thing i want to share is that What is it for you that wants to come out into the world and trusting, trusting that expression?
1: Yeah, that got me thinking earlier about, um, you know, in the activist community on the front lines, there's often a lot of burnout and a lot of people are um, maybe there's a a sort of an old misnomer from the previous paradigm of needing to be a hero, needing to be um, somebody that saves the day and it can lead to a lot of uh, exhaustion and it can actually kind of backfire on the main, um, goals and incentives of the movement in the first place. So I'm wondering if love fire can sometimes be as simple as deciding to go home and to rest for a week and to not be out on the front lines, to not be doing anything other than loving yourself. Um, so how does self-love play a Uh, role uh, in this?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, see that in a a lot of amazing leaders. Um, uh, I can cite Sherry Mitchell, who wrote a wonderful book, Sacred Extractions, who's Penobscot and birthing kinship community, or Carlos Avedra, who was part of the Dream Act. And just listening to them say that I, I went for it, but in a way that was not fully aligned with life. And so Carlos was saying at the end, he was in the hospital and That, you know, even though the DREAM Act passed, they would never, um, life doesn't um, ask for us to not function well. So um, when I was talking about line three uh, with Sherry Mitchell, Sherry Mitchell was just sharing like, look, we'll go and do anything to protect the river or the mountain. And we want the river and the mountain to be fully healthy and functioning. But we are part of the river and the mountain. The soil is part of our body, the water that comes through us. But we we don't ask the river to sacrifice itself for life. Why would we do that to ourselves? Like that we also need, you know, like the trees rest in the winter. So yes, the path of love's fire, I know a lot of people who started it and then they got really sick. There was a purification that had to happen um, or they got confused or they got really depressed. It's important to realize once you start following the breadcrumbs, it doesn't mean... And this was my idea that I'd like, oh, I'd take a risk for love. And then the Muppets would come out of the woods and everyone would be like, yay. And the sun would be shining down. Sometimes um, I, I think of the archetypical hero's journey based on all cultures from Jason Campbell. The preparation of the call is great. You have your powers and a lot of people join you. The threshold is where you lose all, all your old powers don't work and you need to find your new secret powers. Uh, which could be compassion or self-care and you're on the road of trials like towards doing the work you're meant to do and so i i I have to say that there are a lot of challenges because we aren't treating ourselves equal to all of life Uh, buddha says your compassion is incomplete if it doesn't include you. You can like have loving kindness for everything in the universe, but if it doesn't include you, then it's incomplete. And I, I think that's one of the pieces that weakens love's fire. And that's why I feel like doing um, transforming fear and transforming shame is, is, is so paramount um, in this work. Yeah, so yeah, the, the self-love is a radical act of love's fire. To, to really realize, wow, I'm holy. I'm unique in all the universe. <laughs> I always say this, but it's always like, I'm on the line with you, Tucker, and you'll never, 14 million, 14 billion years in any other direction, you won't exist as you are in this body. And how miraculous that is, and how I want to support all of you coming into the world, your giftedness, your care, and love's fire. A great example that that I think is important is when I was at um, Common common ground at the um, Hurricane Katrina in the Ninth Ward. All these people are showing up and they're going into the house with the black molds and they're clearing commu- for the communities to have places to live. And there's police curfews and gunshots. But behind the scenes at the church, um, a bunch of herbalists came. And they just set up a little room and brought thousands of herbs and tinctures. And they just were helping people meditate and doing tinctures. and. That was their gift. You felt love's fire in that room. It was like, that was their, that was their gift to the movement to rebuild the ninth ward, a, a primarily black community. And how beautiful when they claimed it and their ego wasn't like, wow, I should be out there in the streets. They're like, no, this is exactly what I'm made for, is to take care of myself, be embodying health and be offering it to other people. And that's, um, that's really key. Uh, cause I, I think the danger of love's fires, we think of it as it has to be mother Jones pushing away the machine guns. And yet we use those examples cause it shows that with that, when it's through us, we can melt the hearts of the quote enemy. Um, we can help people remember that they belong, that we love them, even though they're we're questioning their actions.
1: Ethan Ivy really curious to hear some examples from your own personal life of when love's fire has overtaken you and guided you um any brief stories you'd be willing to share from your own journey
0: yeah i i think um i've been around the sun 50 times and i think back to the first real awareness of of my heart leading me and I've shared that before of the loss of my dad to a drunk driver. And that first urge was when I was 13 of just, what am I doing? Worrying about what I dress when I go to school and getting grades, like just really starting to ask myself like, whoa, we're mortal. Like, it's time to get along with my, like uh, what, what I actually want to do, what I feel called to do. But I, I think things that's, Stand out are the simple acts that I took in the beginning. And I come back to that because I think that if there's one take home for the listeners, it's it's just do what your heart's telling you to do today. And for most people, like on my life, it was oh, I was in college and I found out that ski resorts disrupt black bear habitat and have a huge ecological footprint for snowmaking. And I love downhill skiing. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to walk up a mountain if I want to ski and I started to find a few people who like backcountry skiing and we'd go to like Tuckerman's ravine and walk up and not only was I following my heart it was more meaningful to me I got in better shape because I was walking up mountains and skiing down when I skied down I didn't take it for granted because I just walked up for three hours I'm <laughs> like well this is incredible I didn't take it for granted and that's one thing when we do things with our own personal integrity um there's there's aliveness and appreciation that happen, and those were the earlier steps for me um i think it was 96 that i decided i just decided i didn't want to fly in airplanes anymore and it was it was both emotional spiritual and those those urgings and of course there's that wall of fear like oh my gosh i won't be able to see people i love and how do i get the time to do it and I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and see what happens and realize that I was a person of one place more being rooted. And when I got on a train, I really it was really precious. If I took three days to cross the country, I, was gonna, I really appreciated seeing my friends. Um, or, or It led to me then biking across the country. Um, so slowing us down and, and giving us a breath. So a lot of my moments, we're like that. We're just um, small choices. Um, When I met Sarah, just before that, I'd made a choice I'd never walk by someone homeless in a city or a town. I would at least say, hey, my name's Ethan. Sorry, I have to go to this thing. I I don't have time, but just to get to know them or always committing when I had time to go out to get a meal, sometimes getting them a place for a day or a month. And that changed my life. Um, And sometimes it's difficult when i was in boston with my hometown friends and we were going out to eat and someone homeless came up and i said hey i'm going to get them a meal i'll meet you there and you know some of my hometown's friends were upset and it makes sense they they don't see me that often and so all of a sudden i'm doing this thing and then they probably had guilt and shame come up and so it gets complex when we're in relationship because when we're living when we start to answering the urges of our heart people around us start to feel uncomfortable so those little steps were huge because they built my muscle and it was the breadcrumb. And it wasn't like I said when I was in college climbing up the mountain. I'm going to be car free. I'm going to give all my money away. I'm going to start a electricity free, petrol free. And I'm going to go to the front lines to support indigenous leadership and protect lakes. None of that was in my consciousness. It was just step by step. I do feel like the crumbs are eventually lead so i was doing all these small steps and at 29 i inherited well at 26 i inherited all this money i I, my first urge was to give it all away but i waited and wanted to talk to people i respected and then at 29 that money sitting in the bank i just i came to this moment where i couldn't carry it anymore and this is a um a quaker george fox when um I believe it was William Penn was a non, you know, Quaker committed to peace, but had to wear a sword. And he asked George Fox, what do I do about the sword? And he said, wear it until you can't anymore. And I think that's so profound. It's like things start to, when we're not in integrity, they pull to us. And eventually we hit this wall where we just have to. And at 29, I just had to give away all my money, give away all my possessions it just had built in me, unknown to me, unconsciously, all these tiny acts had built up to this moment. So I think eventually the breadcrumbs are going to lead to the cave, or to the cliff, or to the huge tree, and that's when um, that's the what I like to call the Rosa Park moment. She was preparing for years and years, and then there was this moment where all the universe and time converged, and she had a choice, which had a huge impact. Um, or that moment Harriet Tubman preparing for years had chose, I need to go back. And I feel like we're all gonna have those moments and we need to prepare for them. And so that was my moment where I couldn't carry my sword anymore, but it was natural, it was a beautiful action. It wasn't coming from, I have to look good or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy unless I did this. It was just like, whoa, I have to do that. And I see that in Brienne and Zoli. When I look in their eyes, they're just like, we need to go follow indigenous leadership and black leadership and be there to slow down the harm. It's so pure, there's no ego. It's like a celebration. You can feel it. I think we each can feel it. We have Love's Fire. It's like a fire, campfire. You can feel the warmth and heat. And if it's a fake fire, you can feel it. It feels kind of
1: odd. You're like, hmm, that's not right. I love that. It, <laughs> I've been thinking about the relationship between Love's Fire and community, and I'm wondering if you could speak to that. I've been lucky enough to... Um, to be spending the past four months at a couple of different spiritual communities in Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And I've seen how that container of community has allowed for people's activation of love fire to uh, like people are able to follow the breadcrumbs more easily when they're in their container of community. They have that system of support and they also have that um, like they're being witnessed in the act and they're being celebrated. And it, it creates this way this like series of synchronicities of the universe being like yes you can do it go for it we're here we support you and it was really beautiful to witness and um, something I hope that we see much more of when these, um, when these communities continue to develop and expand and I think um, one of the, the beautiful aspects of COVID is it's, it's revealed the lack of community that we have in, in the modern western world. Yeah, so anyways, I was wondering if you could speak to that, how community can play a role in supporting people as they follow their love's fire.
0: Um, I know it didn't happen on purpose, but it's emerged perfectly that community is one of the things that I say how to support it. That's one thing I wanted to talk about. It's one of the nine or ten ways, and it's essential. Um, Audre Lorde says, there is no liberation without community. Uh, We can look at all the wonderful um, men and women and queer and beyond Buddhist practitioners who the Sangha is one of the three jewels. It's the community of practice. Um, We can look at any spiritual tradition, Christianity. And again, Jesus was a person of color resisting empire, creating a radical movement of love. When two or more are gathered, you know, love and spirit will be with you. So we see this both in spiritual wisdom and we also feel it. And it's not surprising that in the studying nonviolent communication worldwide, studies like the number one need is belonging. And when we don't have belonging, we have incredible trauma. So this belonging gives us the strength to move forward. Um, And there are practitioners of Love Fire they do not get any support, and that's pretty amazing. Um, and that was their, there was their, that, there was their path to walk. So yeah, I feel um, I frame it in different ways. Of I framed it as agent of possibility when anyone's walking into their um, vocation or onto their soul's purpose. One of the first things I say if I'm working with someone is find, reach out and ask people who are going to support you. And I really started to. I'm going to get out of cars, I'm going to give my money away and um, I'm not going to walk by the homeless and I I was terrified. And I reached out to friends and said, hey, will you accompany me? Can I call you when I'm having a hard moment? Um, Can I reach out to you? And it's essential. Um, The lone hero that's such this uh, Western archetype is the story of separation. And so it's very vulnerable to ask for help and to be in that reciprocity, which um, in braiding sweetgrass, Dr. Kimmer talks about the essence of all life is reciprocity. Um, we help um, we help one another through our interaction with species or humans. So, yeah, it's so important. I think we need more communities of practice where we um wouldn't it be amazing if every town had a actual from city hall there was like a manifesting your vocation circles and there was like you could go into an office and be like hey i'm really moved to ending homelessness in belfast and i'm looking for support and oh yeah here's the circle i mean imagine if our institutions supported this how how different the world would look um and that's the key is that we need support to um to to walk forward and and that's you know part of the possibility alliance i was a bit of a lone wolf in the beginning in the beginning because everyone thought i was crazy and uh, some people cheered and some people said it's not going to last and um again that one person cheering you on or supporting you is key uh, I noticed that just in our trip, five friends from Belfast to go up to line three, we, um, we created this community where we could cry and hold each other when we saw just these pipes going to these 30-foot ditches under wild rice lakes. And we could cry when we saw the uh, continued oppression of indigenous people. Um, we could laugh and celebrate when um, the bald eagle flew over in the morning, we're standing on a frozen lake. We're, yeah, we're meant to share, all all of life. So yeah, that, that would be my my number one and um, how to support it is reach out and recruit agents of possibility on your journey. And when I call friends, it's usually an incredible honor. I mean, imagine a, you know, listener, imagine someone calling you and saying, "I just have this urge in my heart to like plant wildflowers." In city spaces everywhere, both for beauty and for pollinators, and create these wild spaces. And i I want the whole city filled, every like piece of grass, um, and mixed with food. And they said, "I need your help." Can I call you when I have a hard day? Do you have any contacts or ideas? I mean, you see, you're like, wow, finally purpose and meaning. You know, like I'm having a conversation with someone, and this really precious thing their their life their life force their their soul force is. Some call love's fire. Yeah. And then we, you know, we get the courage um, by looking over our shoulder and, Oh, Tyler, Tucker, Susan, they're still climbing. You know, we're still climbing. We're on the mountain together. We're on different paths. In the end, we have a unique purpose, but we're, we're calling out to each other. And sometimes our paths cross and we're helping each other. And without it, yeah, I totally agree with Audrey Lord. There's no liberation. So build the webs of um, lighting love's fire in each other.
1: Incredible. We've covered so much ground already. And yeah, I'm curious where you'd like to go next. What's, um, what's most important to cover at this point?
0: I feel a, a few other things I've learned of what supports it is I feel really helpful for people. So I, I wanted to maybe share a few other things that I felt were really helpful. One is it feels really key is that the belief that it's possible despite our self-hatred, despite our fear, despite our imperfections, despite the parts of ourselves that want safety or belong, that um, we need to believe that this is indeed possible. And, you know, there's so many quotes from people on the other side of this that have followed love's fire and you know we could take gandhi again very imperfect as we know but also created this amazing uh love ripple in the world ahimsa and gandhi says i have not the shadow of a doubt that any man or woman can achieve what i have or child if he or she or they would make the same effort and cultivate the same hope and faith and I think those are two key pieces is a belief in possible and then put effort. It um, is, again, this idea of sacrifice is giving up of something lesser value for something of greater value. Our destiny, our soul's purpose to me is the greatest value of being here as human beings. So how do we how do we flip it? So we are giving full effort to the love we want to bring into the world and trusting that the things we need will come secondary instead of putting money at the top. I need money first to do this or... So yeah, the belief in possib- in, that it's possible and Teilhard de Chardon created an idea called the new sphere that we increase human possibility by embodying it. And so I always use this example, which from his writings that the first couple people who tried to climb Everest without oxygen died. And then when the first person climbed it without oxygen and lived nobody died after that and there's actually a field which was called the new sphere which once we see it's possible our nervous system believes it and it actually becomes possible so it's this interesting thing of um believing that we're meant to channel this amazing life force and love um the, the the second one that is sometimes hard for people is this idea of acting now, that the moment is all we have to bring love's fire into the world. So, you know, right now people can just take a breath and look in their body, whatever is arising in them, just think, what, you know, when I'm done listening to this, what's one thing I want to do? And it could be, I haven't reached out to my grandfather in three years or. I really want to heal that conflict or I really want to go outside and sit under a tree, just following that urge and whatever that urge is now as simple and subtle that this moment we, 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 when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, in five years, once I do this training, once I go through this two year program, once I get this money, then I'm going to go for it. And that's uh, I think that's a, I don't see that work as well as just, what is my body and heart wanting to do now and moving towards that. And the you know, the other thing that I think is really important is spending time, I, I just worked with an amazing woman and we had a gift circle. She called all her friends together and said what they saw her gifts were and reflected those gifts. And then she remembered her gifts and then moved in a whole new direction Um, as a healer and starting a community so i think that part of identifying our gifts is key also and that can be asking friends or journaling what do i love to do what what am i gifted at um and any of those gifts can be applied to healing um from yeah from my friend who wanted to be a clown and now he does clown zero and does healing activist clown that goes to orphanages and goes to disaster zones and so anything can be applied so gift identifying gifts and really claiming them as a movement out of our own self judgment to self-claiming and to be witnessed by community in that to asking friends like what do you see in me where, where do you think i should be heading scary, but so helpful. And it's so simple. It just starts with a conversation. Um, So, yeah, those are a few things that that I have found are really helpful. And the the other ones that are are kind of simple is um, I feel like just remembering, like, what are things that make you remember? They make you feel alive. They make you feel connected and doing more of that every day. And then think about what's making you forgetting like intercept searching and you're just roaming and you're lost or distraction or you might feel really good when you're drunk the night before but in the morning you feel really depressed like doing less of what makes you forget and being really honest about that and just the more you do things that make you remember that could be laughter that could be movement that could be time in nature that could be service that uh, a first step may just be remembering, increasing those practices, and then all of a sudden you're going to find the breadcrumb. So, um, and again, in a culture that makes us forget, we really have to have embodied practices to keep, to keep us remembering. The, the last one, there's so many, but the last one I want to share is the simplest one, but may seem the scariest, is direct exposure. So I think when I ask the question, what breaks someone's heart, and that's something the listener can think about what, what, what most comes up when I say, what breaks your heart, exposing yourself to that opens us. It's what I talked about. Like love's fire is like heat, heat always moves to cold. It balances the universe to create more life. And I believe love's fire always moves towards suffering and where healing is needed. So if we expose it simply by, you know, when I bring friends to the food pantry in Belfast and then they see what, how, how much some people are suffering because their kids are hungry, I don't need to say anything. They just all of a sudden become activated. And so you don't have to go to Minnesota, the front lines of the tar sands, just in your own town. Um, Go to where they're creating an apartment building. Maybe, maybe you love trees and they're cutting trees down. Just sit with that. So direct exposure opens us. Um, and some, and I, over and over again, I ask when I see people really channeling less fire, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, well, I love this piece of forest down in the south. And I walked in every day and I found out it was going to be turned into mountaintop mining. And um, I walked in the forest the day before and then they did it. And when they were done, I walked back to this flat thing and I cried and cried and cried and then knew my life would never be the same. And it wasn't, I'm going to stop this. These evil people is like, oh my gosh, life is so beautiful. I'm, I've am i been born to give myself to life. So yeah, just finding the direct exposure. Uh, my friend Dominic Barter, who's English but does work in Brazil, says like, find your favela. He was in Rio de Janeiro and was always terrified of the favelas up on the hills where classism, poverty, and violence was. And it took him years, but finally walked into the favela and then... With those communities, the Brazilians launched restorative circles, which have impacted people around the world. So find your favela in your town, in your life, and walk into it. Without a plan, just walk into it and watch and listen and feel and see what happens in a way that's also safe. I'm a cis white man, so there's patriarchy and racism, so it's really important to also why we need community again you might need to walk into it with a group of people so you feel grounded in the exposure and you feel um, held up and lifted up so that will look different for each person depending on their soul's calling so those are just some things i've noticed have really helped support us uh, channeling
1: and becoming this this
0: revolutionary force
1: Thank you, Ethan. Those are so helpful and constructive and practical, and they definitely get me fired up. I'm wondering, you know, I just thinking about my own life and when I've um, come across an opportunity to pursue my own love's fire. A lot of times, it's it's uh, accompanied by a lot of fear, and some of that fear could stem from perhaps childhood trauma or fear of fear of failure, fear of being fully seen, um, fear of um, fear of maybe doing more harm than good and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the blocks that you've seen in your own life perhaps or, or just on your journey with working with others and how we can work through those blocks
0: yeah that is, I mean that's the most essential piece I, I love that quote by Rumi that is like you don't have to seek love you just have to undo the blocks that are that, that are keeping it from you feeling it it's everywhere and, and, the sun is coming through the window from 93 million miles away, just saying trees grow, grass grow, life grow. (laughs) The air I'm breathing is like live oxygen. Like the love is there physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, but we, we, it's not our fault. I mean, that's an important thing in the shame piece to say, like we were raised in this to not be open to it. Um, This Western colonized white supremacist society. So it's really important to the blocks are key. And if we can approach the blocks without shame, oh, my gosh, that's where <clears throat> we speed up the process. So I, I, I have, you know, why don't we leap some things that come up is for some it's fear of failing because we've been um, raised in a culture schooling where it's, you get an F or an A. There's no like there's no subtlety. There's no here's where you're gifted. Here's where you need growth. So fear of failing is big. It, it, I know for people to speak what's in their heart is terrifying because then you'll be at the downtown and someone will be like, hey, how's it coming to end uh, the extinction of songbirds? <laughs> you know, like, I just have to work and pay the bills. Like It's really vulnerable to put out what our heart is. Even if it's I'm going to try to grow 11 trees in the backyard because I, I try things and a lot of times they fail. The key in this is if we incorporate failure as part of the journey of love's fire and that a failure is taken in and we look at it like what happened without blame, we learn and then we grow and then we have a wider ability to channel love's fire. So we have to redefine failing first into something that means that you are stretching Failure means you're stretching beyond your capacity. Little kids don't care; they're trying to walk, and they look really funny, and they fall over, and they laugh. Adults, we're not good learners because we're like, oh gosh. They want me to, learn. you know, we're all splitting firewood to help with the camps up in, in um Minnesota, and certain people didn't want to go to the chopping block because they didn't know how to do it, uh, but some people did, and then would learn, and, and everyone would laugh, but how to like allow ourselves to be like children again um, so that we can experiment and children's learning rate is super fast because they know that when they mess up, it's just part of the process. So redefining failing and embracing it in your community of of practice is huge. Um, Fear of, you know, I think for, and these are lists from talking to hundreds of people, fear of being seen as crazy, like you be more reasonable we can't just like for example catholic workers open our doors and anyone can come and we're not locking anything and anyone has a bed that's irresponsible i love um kabir um, says you know once you're reasonable you feel like a million miles away from love um so we have to and that's part of belonging if we're seen as crazy then we don't belong or when i was going to give my money away it, it was i announced it at the christmas table and people yelled at me like, what do, we got to take care of you. What happens if you get sick? And that's so selfish. And people kept telling, I was called selfish dozens of times. You've got this opportunity and that's so selfish to give it away. So yeah, people were like, I had a cousin who thought I was dying of cancer. You know, people would pull me aside and be like, are you okay? Because giving away all your money in, you know, in the 90s in a bull market was insane. So yeah, you need to best to find someone who doesn't think you're insane before you do the crazy action so you have support. Um, the One of the largest ones that actually pulls people away from their journey with Love's Fire is fear of becoming disconnected to those we love, friends and family. And um, that's really real. Um, I had friends in Gloucester that thought once I started to do that stuff, I wouldn't be interested in them. I would go to the bars to see them and they would some got really resentful. Like you're just coming to rub it in our face. You know, you're gotten off being addicted. And, and I'm just like, I'm here cause I love you. But you know, after a couple of years, they, they got it, but it's, it's really terrifying. I watch people who visit the possibility. It's like, I'm going to buy calm. That's what I moved to do back to Virginia. And all of a sudden the mom's freaking out bikes to the sister, the sister locks the door and like, you're ruining the family. You can't come in. And you know, then the mom shows up in the car secretly, you know, it's really complex when we follow our heart. If we realize people love us and they're terrified that we're gonna get hurt or not be cared for, we can start to leverage this part of disconnected the friends we love. So when I went car free and everyone freaked out, i just be like, look, I'm gonna see you more this year than last year. I'm gonna, I'm committed to this relationship. Um, people are scared of losing you. And when I got close to some of my friends in Gloucester, like I thought you're just going to realize I'm an addicted loser and I'd never see you again. So unconsciously, they were trying to stop me from embodying love's fire because I thought I'd leave them behind. So we have to remember this compassion for the others. But yeah, look at this this disconnection. I think the best thing is just conversations like, hey, family, I'm thinking of doing this thing. It's moving my heart. What do you think? Inviting people into the process is so key. When we just say I'm going to give all my money away as a unilateral act, it's affecting all my family. It really is because I might need something and have to go to my mom. So I need to have discussions so I'm not in the story of separation when I'm following Love's fire. Um, there's a big fear of not getting our needs met, you know, like I'll get out of planes and I won't get my needs met to like see people and all of these Why we don't leave, the biggest thing is we have a story about what will happen when we move the way of our heart. And in my own life, every time the story has been wrong, I've become, sometimes it's really excruciating, and difficult, but I become closer, I feel more alive in the long run. Um, And yeah, I think another piece is that we're, fear of the unknown, you know, this is a real thing what would it be like to leap in that moment, small or big? Um, There's there's just so many. Fear of leaping in the wrong direction. What if I go for it and it's not really furthering the world I wanna see? Um, So I think the important thing is to have a community and actually talk these things through um, all these really sacred fears. and we, uh, I have a little, two practices to, to help with fear. And I noticed it was a huge breakthrough for me working with a lot of people coming through the possibility lines, is the first level of fear I find is people are f- afraid of feeling the pain of the world or the suffering or the hypocrisy gap, like how you're not in integrity with what your heart wants. Um, I originally thought people were, afraid of feeling those things and i thought that's the core fear it's like they just didn't feel they had the spaciousness to feel their own gap of who they wanted to be or the suffering in the world but what i later realized is the the deeper fear is that if i feel these things i know my life will then have to alter greatly to align with the feelings it will mean x if i really feel these things it will mean x i can't do this anymore i have to change my life And so, you know, we get down to the fear of change or the fear of a perceived death of who we were. So I think getting to that second level of fear is so important of just like, okay, if I really let me feel this, then I would then not, I couldn't do it anymore. By numbing ourselves, we can keep doing things that aren't in integrity. So that's the deeper one is just getting comfortable with, okay, that would mean this. And now I'm going to build up my risk muscle to be able to do this. at a a time that doesn't create total overwhelm or mental breakdown. I love Pema uh, Pema Chodron gave a thing about transforming fear. And it's such a simple exercise and I really encourage anyone listening to try it. If you have a specific fear, like fear of not being loved or fear of being hurt or fear that the earth is dying, um, Pema Chodron said the best way to transform it is go give that to somebody else so if you have fear of not being loved go love somebody send someone a love letter go tell someone what they you appreciate about them if you're as fear about being hurt go protect somebody join the effort to stop child abuse in your local town go to um, if someone you know is being hurt uh, a, a way that feels comfortable for you to protect them if the earth is dying go bring something to life go plant something grow something um, nurture life so It's this amazing thing. Often there's a Hindu quote that says, like, when you help your sister's boat across the river, lo and behold, you cross the river. Like you're in your boat, and if I'm in my boat thinking about the river and the rocks, I'm like, ah, holy, holy shit, what's gonna happen? And all of a sudden, I see my sister's boat, and they're in trouble. I'm like, oh, follow me. You know, let me guide this. And all of a sudden, their boat's across, and you're across. And I think this is part of what Pema's getting at: is when we find out our fear, and then go lower that fear for somebody else so my fear is not being accepted go accept someone who's taking a big risk or is seen as crazy Um, and i find that true when i'm like rock climbing by myself or doing things i'm often way more afraid that when i'm leading kids rock climbing i'm focusing on my care for the kids and my role becomes effortless so that's that's a i mean we could do a whole thing on fear but those are some tools to 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 um deal with fear and uh, just don't push the fear away that's suppression you need to have a conversation with the fear you need to have a conversation with that part so that um, you're integrated moving into um, becoming more of love's fire
1: with all that said ethan i am curious when you close your eyes and you imagine a world where everybody is following their love's fire what does that world look like what are the implications of that um What's what's the more beautiful world that our hearts know as possible when we're following these breadcrumbs step by step? Hmm.
0: Because seven billion people are so unique, uh, I can't see exact what I look like, but I do know some tendencies that wherever you went, there'd be this life life force and this aliveness, both like roller coaster aliveness, like, whoa, I'm going for it. And I'm freaking out to aliveness of just like, wow, I'm really connected and, and following my heart. So I think that the, all of our interactions, the, the depth and connection would be unimaginable. And when I've been in these communities, really practicing the embodiment of lust fires, I, I feel it. I feel, and people feel it when reporters would go to the civil rights movement and um, the black freedom movement in the sixties and, uh, um, there would be they would just write that I felt something moving in the room. You know, people who are atheists or cynical, they just felt this opening because again, you catch it. It's it's the beautiful thing is love. Fire moves, it moves, and you feel it. Um, I do. You know, as I look at the world in this moment, I think of just being at line three. What I see is indigenous and latinx and black and white people being together in the beloved community to protect water and protect life and just seeing from minneapolis with the george floyd uprisings uh there's 23 million dollars in the black community for legal fees in the black community was like hey any water protectors up there on indigenous land can access this money like i just you know tasting the beginning of um Sharing everything for our liberation, and um, I just see that spread throughout the world, and and amazing how much love there is when someone who's been under oppression for 500 years from colonizers, and I'm I I'm I look you know I'm an ancestor of that to be welcomed into indigenous spaces, into indigenous land, it it blows your mind. Tara Huska of of the amazing collective, the GNU Collective, uh, not only thanked us for coming into putting our bodies to protect the river and their treaties, gave us each a jar, 15 of us, gave us each a jar of wild rice that that they had hand harvested from those lakes. And so this is a gift to thank you and just, just to taste that love of after so much harm that she can extend love to us when we we are part of that harm like you're just amazing those acts of of gratitude and forgiveness and and meaning um just imagine that spread in so many unique ways all over the world Um, so i just see what i've tasted in those moments like the ninth ward where everyone's helping each other everyone's cutting the wood and cleaning the homes and children and elders and it's a mix of so many different people um just uh building a world that's uh yeah the act of building the world and everyone had lost everything and that's what i see in the world is i'd ask how are you doing they've lost their home the insurance not paying for it they have nothing and they're like i've never felt so alive because they're out with their community rebuilding and that's of essential meaning so i think the world we would see is how do we rebuild the world without extraction and the violence that we have now without the racism where we're caring for each other and all beings and that it's going to look in a million different ways, but there'd be no more giant Hollywood movies. It'd be all these incredible local theater and storytelling and, and each, yeah, each person would have direct experience of each other in the world. So I see glimpses of it um, as I just did up in Minnesota and it's, it's uh, it's the I eat that crumb and man, I'm so nourished and so full and and then again I believe it's possible when I'm when I'm there and when you see oh, the ability to love each other under incredible odds. So I hope that's helpful. I, I don't want to. I think each listener can imagine what they've seen because we've all seen moments of the new world we know is wanting to come about. And um, imagine when all those glimpses are interwoven into one huge quilt. I honestly, it's so amazing. I can't even imagine it from my vantage point.
1: Mm, Beautiful. It's beautiful to not know and to uh, it's beautiful to be stepping into something that's that's so much larger than what our brains can comprehend. Um, cause really that's the, that's the truth of it, right? That's always the case, but it's nice when we're aware of that in the moment as well. Ethan, is there anything else that you would like to share about this topic? Anything else on your heart? Anything else that, that needs to be spoken today? Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, the last things that I feel are important is to just touch on kind of shame and comparison. When we start to compare ourselves to someone else, uh, a lot of people will come to the possibility lines and see our perfect experiment, but they leave feeling bad about themselves. That's not really our goal. (laughs) Our our goal is to try to support and inspire, but it happens a lot. And that's, that's what we've learned um, is shame. And that's like, I'm a mistake instead of I made a mistake. Again, we come back to this learning. Failure is I made a mistake, and I'm going to learn from it and become more expansive. So, shame crushes creativity. It crushes innovation. Shame becomes fear, and fear leads to risk aversion. And love's fire is all about building our risk muscle. And so, again, similar to these fears I talked about, as shame derives its power from Brené Brown's work from being unspeakable. So it's amazing that we we just start. Speaking it, you know uh, the three ninja warrior, three ninja warrior gremlin trainings of shame resilience is when you feel the pain of shame. I'm not as good as so and so. I'm not as articulate. I'm not as courageous. One, practice courage, and this is from Brene Brown, daring greatly. Practice courage and reach out, share your experience with someone who loves you, your team, your sangha, that that community of love that we're building, and just say, hey, I'm really feeling inadequate. I'm really feeling I could be doing more. Look what Sarah and Ethan are doing, and to just speak about it, and then it it that is speaking it reduces its power. Similar to fear, we speak it. We have to be vulnerable to talk to myself the way I would talk to someone I really love, and who I'm trying to comfort in the midst of a meltdown. So often we're more compassionate with the other. I mean, that's when someone's really having a hard time. I, I can really stretch and be like, no, no. If if I see someone be like, I'm a loser. I'm worthless. It's really easy for me, like, oh, my gosh, here's what I see and love about you. Like, you're doing so good. But it's harder for us to do that to himself. So one practice is great when I'm in that shame response. I picture another me kind of like separating and looking at me like a bird's eye view. And then I'm able to be like, oh, my gosh, you're really in a shame shitstorm. And then I can play that role. But reaching out to someone is key. And three, you know, uh, Brene Brown says, own the story don't bury it and let it fester because uh, when we bury shame, it controls our decisions. So um, again, if you own the story, uh, her quote is, if you own the story, you get to write the ending. And I believe that's so true that if I'm owning my fear and shame, then it's not, it's not in the power over position. And with it, we need to love, love's fire needs to love and meet the shame and fear and be like as Technon says, hello, fear, come up and let me hold you. And you hold the fear like a little baby and you hold the shame like a little baby and you honor it, that it's bringing an important um, message to work through. So that's that's one important thing I just think that is key is um, not comparing each love fires acts is miraculous. Whether you're the best listener in the world or whether you start a huge movement, youth movement like Greta or you um, are in the front of a movement like... Tara Huska and Taysha Martin up in line three It can be as simple as just you have kindness in your town that ripples beyond ways you'll ever know I love that they're reading uh, they're writing autobiographies about um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all these people their moms and how their moms like through their love gave them the courage and that is the same with me is like my mom I wouldn't be where I am without my mom who just said okay I'm scared but okay I'm going to bike with you in your car free. Oh you're going to dress up as a superhero and help people. Okay, I'll dress up. Like you realize that your act of love's fire may be serving someone else who who gets into the community movement phase. You don't know. You just have to really love what gift you're bringing. And then the the other thing is just the risk balance. It's like the learning and growth is what they call the Goldilocks zone and knowing when we're going to overwhelm you said it so nicely about self care and um, loves fire when it's taken to the patriarchal hero narrative. It's like, oh, I'll lose my leg and still still crawl for the crumb. You know, It's like, um, no, if you lose your leg, life wants you to w- wait and breathe and get support and heal it. Um, so just to remember that the wasteland is the boredom. It's kind of like when you're not following the calling. And we know that so well in industrial society. We see the suicide rates and addiction rates, and that's a failure of society, not the individual. And then we go into that learning and growth where we're like, whoa, yeah, it's flow. And the Goldilocks zone is where we want to kind of try to stay, where we're learning and taking risks, but not going into overwhelm, which is both mental breakdown, which I've seen. People go too fast. They go faster than spirits anointed time. For the transformation or you have emotional uh, mental emotional breakdown i've seen that you have spiritual breakdown you lose faith or you have physical breakdown which that's so common to see and so that really reclaiming part of love's fire is holy balance that um we are stretching those areas but to a way where we're still keeping our center and staying self-led so those are the two just around risk and balance and i um yeah there's so much. I love the topic i I guess in another time we'll get to the uh the archetypes which help people find their pathway um, yeah so i yeah, well, anything else alive in you, Tucker? thanks so much for holding the space. You can tell I get really fired up about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would just say for the viewers that if you're wondering what love fire feels like, it uh it probably feels a lot like what it feels like to listen to Ethan. I know for myself, um, yeah, I feel like you're you're perfectly embodying love's fire right now by being this teacher, being this guide, by have living this life of so much fullness, and then taking the time to share your experiences and to synthesize so many different schools of thoughts and so many different topics and teachers from throughout history and such a beautiful and coherent um, and very clear message um, that's very tangible and very practical and, but also like gets me personally super excited and fired up so thank you ethan bravo and i love you
0: yeah I love you too. And, um, yeah, I'm, I just wonder if I can end with just a a quote and one sentence invitation. Go for it. It's a simple quote. Everything for love. That's by Rumi. And then my invitation is today. Yeah. To the listener, uh, the embodiment is so important to that cycle of love's fire, like burning through all our fear and all our walls. That I invite you to either go expose yourself to what's breaking your heart or what matters to you in a safe way that feels grounded for you in that Goldilocks zone. Or when you finish listening to this, take 10 minutes to just sit with yourself and ask your heart and breathe in, What is it I want to do today? That's, that's a simple step on this pathway. It could be writing five things you appreciate about your roommate. It could be laying down for a moment and, and celebrating what you have done in your life and where you brought love in. Um, it could be dressing up in a wild costume and going into town and juggling. I have no idea, but just an invitation that once we start taking that step, all of the universe comes to
1: to our aid yeah thank you beautiful ethan thank you so much i look forward to the next episode all right love
0: you thanks thanks for facilitating
1: if you'd like to contact ethan he can be reached at 207-338-5719 that's 207-338-5719 The Possibility Alliance mailing address is also available in the show notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Tucker Walsh. Have a beautiful day.